0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is on. Competition is on. Competition is on. Competition
1: is on. Competition is, competition is, competition is. time finally it seems like it's been so long but finally we get to talk about actual football here on hard to paint with david grubb and if it's wednesday that means there's only one person that i invite to do uh that with me ross jackson for the dome patrol we are reunited and yeah. finally the eve of the nfl season we're back, brother. We're here. We made it.
0: I heard the Southern preacher almost come out like, Lord! <laughs> the weight has is,
1: been mighty. The NFL season is here. We have girded up our loins and have made it.
0: May <laughs> oh, not have gotten it, to where
1: we were supposed to be yet, but That's we have right. started the journey.
0: That's right. We got here, man. The NFL almost messed it all up, but we got here. Yeah. And, got here. I'm calling back to the, to the, to the negotiations. NFL, oh my NFL God,
1: yeah. A month ago? Ooh. I I probably, I I didn't think we'd be here a month ago. Mm -hmm. I thought we'd we'd be moving this into October or something. Yeah, I thought we were going to
0: push back for sure, for sure. But here we are a day away.
1: In those four weeks, i say the NFL has done a much better job than I thought that they would. And especially when you compare it to what's been going on in college and high school Mm -hmm. football, the NFL has gotten a lot more aggressive in doing their job. Um, I will say this, it does feel weird. And I think Babani Jones made a great point about this on his pot Mm -hmm. is that we don't have any of the normal cues that we have for an NFL season. And so emotionally it's very different for us because normally there's a cycle of this. You go through Mm -hmm. preseason, you go through these normal things around you in society, kids in school, all these things that are going on. None of that is there. And so our whole national, Appetite is kind of different for football in that way is that we're kind of still trying to figure out that it's real.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think we've talked about before it's where it's been like, you know, we've had all those things where we talk about training camp and like training camps coming to an end and the NFL season's almost here. But it's not really until we get to this point that we understand that, oh, like the NFL season's actually almost here. Like they did that. <laughs> you know, I think that it was one of those things where, as much as you tried to maybe, you know, count on it and, you know, count the days and everything like that, no matter what, it was going to sneak up on you just with the way that this is formulated and with the way that this has sort of progressed all throughout the summer. And in getting to this point, it just feels it feels like we shouldn't be here yet. Not in a negative way in that like something is wrong and so we shouldn't Mm -hmm. be here, but simply that like, it feels like there's still so much that hasn't happened yet. That's still supposed to happen. That is, isn't going to happen.
1: No, just the, the verb, the visual things that you just used to seeing the whole process over the weekend of the cut down. Right. It's just so much more quiet. Like even as the cuts were coming in, it just didn't feel the same because you also didn't have the same urgency when you start seeing guys who've been in league eight, nine years on practice squads. Right. It just it, right. none of that is normal. So like even getting cut wasn't getting cut this year. It was yeah. just the same. It wasn't the same.
0: Yeah. I feel like I said the phrase, I, I mentioned that teams might say, make sure that you stay in shape, stay close to your phone. We'll be calling you. I feel like that was a part of every single release all throughout or, or, or wave uh, all throughout this process Player, And, you know, we got the same thing that we get every year, right? Every single player that everybody believes, oh, every team in the NFL is going to come after them on waivers, you can't release them, doesn't get signed on waivers. Like, nobody knows anything about that player. The only people that know about that player are the fans that follow camp and the people that are in camp. That's it. And especially without a preseason this year, there were a lot of things that we missed out on. We didn't get to see, I'm going to say it carefully, Taysom versus Jameis, almost said Tameis again, I'm sure. Uh, But, you know, we didn't get to see that. We didn't get to see Cesar Ruiz get folded in at center. We didn't get to see Zach Bond get folded in as an off-ball linebacker. A lot of, you know, potential movement around this roster and around this depth chart might have been sorted out through preseason. We didn't get to see that this year. And on top, but the other side of that is that teams got to keep secrets All season. We talked about how they were going to control narrative. You saw a lot of NFL teams like the Saints actually allowed a pretty good amount of information to come out of their camp. They let you talk about what players were on the field, who was playing a nickel, things like that. There were some things that were really specific that you didn't really get as much information on. Uh, But, you know, they got to talk about what linebacker was playing in what role, what linebackers were out on nickel formation versus that weren't. It's how we learned that Nigel Bradham was falling behind because Craig Robertson was in during those nickel formations with the first team and not Nigel Bradham, who was the guy that was going to, you know, for a lot of fans and a lot of analysts was going to come in and be the next big coverage linebacker. He's going to be a starter. Yeah. For the team. And you know, we didn't get, you know, but we got access to that. The Seahawks and a couple of other teams out there, giants, for instance, the, the uh, Jaguars, it was lock and key in terms of you can't report anything about who's lining up where, what personnel or groups look like, who's in and different sub packages and things like that. The Saints were at least a little bit more open about it. They weren't as open as say the Browns who literally live stream training camp and like didn't care. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it's an interesting sort of dichotomy between the positives and negatives that came from this style of offseason. And I'm curious to see if the positives were enough to actually affect even a regular non-pandemic offseason going into 2021. I'll be interested to see what rule changes come over this time throughout this experience.
1: Yeah, I wonder if expanded <clears> – <throat> excuse me, expanded practice squads become a thing mm-hmm. going forward because I think coaches would prefer that. Certainly players in the union would like it in some regard to because it creates a deeper workforce for the league. Um, and uh, going forward, I think it may become the norm to have more play, guys on that squad and then people that you can be flexible enough to bring up and send down. To yep. me, that just seems like a logical evolution for
0: personnel in the NFL. Right. Absolutely. And we know that they're going to be increasing the game number here soon as well, going to a 17 game season. So we're already expected to be some type of a roster and practice squad increase that coincides with all of that. But maybe now we keep that. You know, I'm curious to see if the, the veteran thing stands. I'm curious to see if that ends up saying I, I don't know that it will, because it's going to be hard to get veterans in a regular offseason to agree to practice squad pay and everything when usually they're making starter money in the NFL, which is a pretty large leap. Like I'll take practice squad pay any week. I do not mind that, you know, uh, Josh McCown sitting at home in Texas getting, making 12 grand a week to essentially be a coach on the phone you know, and potentially be an emergency quarterback, which is incredible and great and awesome for him that he's, you know, got the quarantine quarterback role here. But for the most part, you're not going to get a lot of veterans that are interested and willing to, and and even in a situation in which they can take that money because of what they've already invested and what they've already sort of created for themselves and become accustomed to out of their NFL starter money. But it would be interesting to see if one or two veteran spots remain Mm -hmm. available or something like that, that teams can use. Again, they don't have to, they can fill those with guys with less than four years, and all of the the different stipulations that usually come with the practice squad. But it'd be interesting to see if, if teams, excuse me, get the opportunity to keep one or two vets on the practice squad moving forward as the practice squad continues to expand. And if the protection idea remains going through moving forward as well, because right now every team by Tuesdays, or at least as early as Tuesdays, can protect four players in their practice squad and say, you can't poach. These guys, they stay with us. And the Saints right now have four veterans on their roster who I expect will probably be on the practice squad roster who I expect to probably be those four that get protected unless there's more change around the practice squad, which sounds like will be the case. <laughs>
1: um, so let's go through. We didn't get to talk right after cut down day. Right, right, um, let's go ahead and go through who were the surprise guys that made the roster? Who was the surprise that got cut for you?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the number one surprise in terms of guys to make the roster was Blake Gilligan, the undrafted rookie punter out of Penn State. I've talked, talked about, about him. On, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's extremely talented, wildly talented. And he's also, you know, he was a five-star kicker as well coming out of high school. And so he is somebody that provides you with somebody that, you know, if Will Lutz ends up with a false positive, for instance, and is out for, you know, the three or four days that it takes for him to get his following two uh, test back positive. I'm sorry, negative. Then, if you need a Blake Gilligan or if you need a new kicker, Blake Gilligan, who's a punter, can also be a place kicker for you should you need it. Same thing with Thomas Morstead. And if nothing else, Blake Gilligan is setting himself up to potentially be looked at as a future starter in the NFL. I won't say specifically with the Saints, but certainly in the NFL, we've seen that with the Saints before. So if they find a special teamer that they like, they'll keep find a way to keep him around. And right now, the way that they've kept him around is by including him on this roster. But of course, right now, if you turn and look over to, let's say the unofficial depth chart that was released earlier this week, there's 54 individual players named on that depth chart right now. So there's an expectation. And that includes Dwayne Washington, who's been not on the team here recently. It does not count against the 53 because he's currently on the COVID reserve list. There's a bit of an expectation that he's going to come back, remain with the team. And then some player is going to go down to the practice squad or be waived. That could potentially be Blake Gillikin, but he was probably the biggest make surprise that was in there. And then there are a couple of other undrafted guys that I was excited to see make the roster that I wouldn't call necessarily surprises, but I was glad to see them in wide receiver Marquez Calloway out of Tennessee and then defensive lineman, Malcolm Roach out of Texas.
1: Yeah. Calloway and Roach both made a lot of heads turn during camp Callaway mm-hmm. so Calloway came out of a really, I mean, Expectation-wise, he had to overcome a lot of people and right. jump past some folks, including names that probably a week before were thought of being safer bets to make the roster than he was. Right. That's an incredible rise for him.
0: Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And I'll tell you what, it's really interesting to kind of look at what the difference was between, like, let's, let's compare him and Emmanuel Butler, who – didn't make the roster, didn't make the practice squad. He was trying out with the Lions yesterday, along with actually former Saint as well, Cam Meredith, who was a Saint for, you know, a sunup and sundown. But when you look at what it was that Marquez Callaway did that helped him make the roster, we know that he can be a receiver. And he made some plays as a wide receiver during camp, but that wasn't his bread and butter during camp it was the special teams plays it was he was making it was the blocking that he was doing in the full contact drills and in the live drills those are the things that really stood out to the coaching staff and to media as well in watching callaway versus emmanuel butler who last year made a ton of plays at wide receiver playing sort of that x position behind michael thomas during camp and got a lot of time out there to be able to do that because michael thomas held out for the first six days of camp while they were getting his contract done smartly and you saw him not make the roster based on the fact that he wasn't ready yet deemed by the coaching staff as a special teamer and as a blocker. So if you're going to be better at one out of those three things, shoot for two of them and shoot for blocking and special teams, because that's what's going to help you make the roster. And that just goes to show you exactly what it is that the saints really value in that wide receiver position and what can help you leap guys that have been with this team for years and veterans who have been in the league for years, like Benny Fowler, who, Sean, I'm sorry, not Sean Payton. Drew Brees himself said, "I want on this team and I want signed to this uh, to the training camp roster." Who is a good special teamer and who is also a good uh, a good blocker as well? Because you know he's an undrafted free agent. He had to do it himself. But there's just something young. There's something exciting about the young option that comes with the undrafted free agent out of Tennessee. Instead that made them go and look his way. And Benny Fowler, of course, still on the practice squad, but you know, Marquez Calloway did more than enough in the appropriate areas in the right spots to make the roster.
1: Um,
0: the disappointing
1: guys who got, didn't make it, who are your biggest disappointments?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Emmanuel Butler stands out for a lot of folks, uh, being that guy that – People were very excited about to see kind of be able to come into the second year. He had a full year to learn the system, another training camp here, and we're just kind of expecting there to be a noticeable leap forward in what he did. There was a noticeable leap for him in special teams. He did become a bit more of a contributor there over camp, but still clearly not enough to surpass guys like Marquez Galloway who came in and were immediately there. Um, Lil Jordan Humphrey not making the roster was kind of a surprise mm-hmm. to me too because the Saints love that split end wide receiver, that guy that can line up tight and be a part of run block blocking in the formation or tight to the formation that can also line up out wide, get you some yards after catch. But you look at all the things that he does, getting yards after catch, getting deep down the field, being a blocker, being a good special teamer, and giving you some potential returner uh, responsibility or potential returner capability. Marquez Calloway checks all those boxes as well. It was such an interesting thing watching this wide receiver room unfold. And then them interestingly only keeping five wide receivers as opposed to six. When you have a wide receiver as your primary kick returner, and Deontay Harris. But I wonder if maybe what helps them make that decision is you have Ty Montgomery on this roster as your third running back. How much does he get involved in the passing game?
1: And that was our question was where Montgomery would be listed on the Mm -hmm. depth chart. Would they put him as a running back or a receiver? They put him as a running back saints carrying four running backs right now. Mm -hmm. Um, The depth, obviously the top three, we're not, we, we are very happy with. Right. So, I mean, position wise I think there were some concerns for folks on the secondary side,
0: um,
1: yeah. just yeah. in some of the the, the keeps and, and 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 folks who got away there um, after the performance of the secondary, particularly your personal yeah. favorite. That was a surprise. That That one was
0: my other surprise. Yeah, over on the defensive side, my biggest surprise Mm -hmm. is Keith Washington. My heart hurt a little bit, but I understand. I understand. Uh, But, you know, he was somebody that ends up still getting re-signed to the practice squad, and we know that the practice squad is going to be I mean, I feel confident that for the most part, just about everybody on their practice squad is going to see some snaps in 2020. It's just one of those things where there's going to be so many factors to the season that it's completely possible between injuries, people getting sick, people in the flu season coming about too, to where people just have to be, if somebody gets the flu, you still have to be extra careful about it, more careful than you usually would be about it. And so, or than you already would be about it. There's some, you know, situations there or some situations there that could create an opportunity for a lot of these guys to get in. And so it is, uh, it was surprising and it was upsetting. Six interceptions at camp. Coach Payton, I see you um, letting my guy go, but it's all good. It's all good. He's back on the practice. But I mean, you look at the depth of that, of the secondary as a whole and the versatility of the secondary as a whole. And it just makes it a little bit easier to where you don't have to retain, you know, 11 defensive backs because you need six corners because you have a safety that can play in the nickel, you know, that can play in the slot for you. You have corners that can play safety for you and and all throughout that. One of the other big things was Saquon Hampton not making the roster. The Saints drafted him a few years ago. They had him in his, in the, in their top 75 when they drafted him, but he ended up being, uh, injured injury waves, mm. waved injured. And then, you know, of course somebody picked him up on waivers. So he reverted back to their injured reserve. So see, he might actually get an opportunity to come back at some point this season too, but we'll have to see exactly how, you know, how his, his recovery goes and everything toward that. Um, one other one that I was really happy about over on the defensive side, outside of Malcolm Roach, was Chase Hansen. um, mm. everybody knows Aiden Ellis. So I don't have to say it. Cause everybody right. just, we expected Caden to, to yeah. be on the roster this year. Yeah. And so, but, but Chase Hanson is somebody that I was really intrigued by during camp, made some nice plays, a lot of good job, 42s being yelled out there. Uh, he did a really great job in coverage. He's a former safety transition to linebacker while he was at Utah, extremely versatile, very much that new age, you know, piece or that very, that, that new age version, uh, of the linebacker, um, the Philadelphia Eagles type, if you will. Uh, but he's somebody that ends up making the roster here, didn't get an opportunity last year, was on the non-football uh, injury list to start the season. And so he was, you know, on injured reserve all year. And now he came back here in his second season, he gets an opportunity to be one of the six linebackers to make this roster. So I was pretty excited to see him there because he'll be a very, very good piece on special teams as a, an extremely athletic linebacker out there. And then also could give you some valuable quality uh, you know, young depth. There's still be young and there's still going to be growing pains and everything like that, learning the speed of the game for sure. But if he has to go out there, you feel a little bit more comfortable with him than maybe you might have with, you know, Nigel Bradham, the way that he was performing during camp. You got a much better performance out of Chase Hansen, And so I was excited to see him make the roster as well.
1: Folks were so you know, over the weekend worried about the Jadavian Clowney thing. And I understand. Oh, why. man. Fantastic player. We, we've talked about him all summer. Right. And thought that this was a potentially a very good spot for him. And I don't think that that changed. But I think that this is where we get with fans sometimes is that, look, 15 million versus 10 million is 15 million. I mean, it's just, it, it's right. It's, it's, I'm sorry. You, you raised my salary by half compared to these other folks. It doesn't matter what your situation is. You talk about a guy who's 30 years old, uh, you know, is getting at an age in NFL career where you just got to get your check. You don't know where the next one is coming. He's playing on these one-year deals. I wouldn't have taken $5 million less, not in this year, for anybody. So to me, it's not like the Saints blew it. It's just it was a situation that you couldn't match. It's just financially, you couldn't match.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the Saints didn't need to spend that money was the other part. Like we continuously talked about how Jadavian and Clowney would have been a great addition and a great fit for the Saints. But we also always listed the caveat that the Saints will be fine at the defensive line. This is a 50 plus sack team from last year that only got younger and more talented this year. They essentially maintain the exact same defensive line, but they get a younger, cheaper version of Mario Edwards Jr. and Malcolm Roach to come in and potentially serve the exact same role that Mario Edwards Jr. served. He's even wearing the same damn number. He took 97. <laughs> like they groomed him to be exactly who Mario Jr. was and they said, all right, Mario, you and your 2.345 million dollars can head over to Chicago now and then they cut him. And so, you know, it, it makes perfect sense that they, you know, are gonna be in a very good place regardless of this addition of and Cloudy. It's kind of like going to the grocery store and you had no intention on buying this bag of chips but you see that the bags of chips are on sale two for $7. And you're like, oh, that would save me money over if I bought two bags of chips in the first place. But you were never really planning to buy the two bags. Right. Of chips. So it's like, it's like you said, the difference between 10 to $15 million isn't just $5 million. It's $15 million because you didn't need to spend $10 million in the first place. And so that's the way that I look at this for the Saints. And especially when we learned what it is that Mickey Loomis was about to try to do to get to Davion Cloudy to New Orleans, which would have not only cost them $10 million, but also a player and a second round pick, which look, the Saints are probably going to trade that second round pick at some point anyway. Yeah. It does not matter because that's what they do. They don't care about those draft picks one bit. And so when you look at what it is that they were going to eventually actually end up giving up, it might make fans feel a little bit different in terms of like, oh yeah, well, you know, like they saved $10 million and they gave up a second round pick and come to find out what we learned yesterday Uh, or Tuesday, that if the Saints would have even gotten the approval to do that move, the Jaguars and Ravens would have done it in the first place anyway, so that would have been even worse. So I'm kind of glad that this worked out the way that it did as opposed to the way that it could the other scenario in which the Saints don't end up with Genevieve Clowney. It would have been nice to have him, don't get me wrong, but this is still a very talented roster.
1: No, it's a luxury item. At that point, it was a luxury item. And you just try to floss. That's all you try to do is floss off folks and be like, look, we got Clowney too. Because ultimately, it doesn't change the perception of the Saints around the league. It doesn't change the perception Mm -hmm. of the Saints among fans. If you thought that they were one of the three or four best teams in the NFL, are they not that now?
0: No, <laughs> right, they're the same. Exactly. They're still in that
1: position. They didn't lose anything. They just didn't add right. a luxury item. You didn't right. get the spinners. So, yeah. You, just got the, you yes. just got the regular rims. Yeah.
0: Exactly. You still got the you still got the 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 40s though. So like you're fine. Yeah, you're you know, good. You got the 40-inch rims, they just don't spin. And that's okay. Like you're, right. you're, still, you're still, still flossing out here. That's right. Like, you can still go up five. and down a block.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Folks that's right. <laughs> Um, that's right. But it's also money too that's available as we see this Alva Camara um, extension talks ramp up and people say it's imminent. We always hear it's imminent. We've been hearing it's imminent right. now for about a month. <laughs> but uh, the report comes out again, Schefter says, hey, it's, they're, they're, they're basically dotting the I's across the T's on this thing is right. how he, he words it. I never believe that till ink is on paper. I don't, yeah. I never count anything. But that money is needed if you're going to sign him to
0: an extension. Yeah, I mean, it's helpful to have for sure. My, my thing is, like, there's only one eye in Alvin Kamara. So please get this done quick if all you're doing <laughs> is not in and crossing T's. Like, get this done as soon as you can because you don't want this to carry on into week one. You just, I mean, like, you don't want that distraction. You don't want that to be the thing that everybody's talking about ahead of this thing because we've already seen the public perception of the way that we discuss Alvin Kamara completely shift. Because what we used to talk about was Alvin Kamara is looking explosive healthy and 100%, he's looking like he's back to form, blah, 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 blah. Now, when we talk about Alvin Kamara, all we talk about is his damn contract and everything. And, and the contract negotiates it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying anybody's doing anything wrong with that, but that's the type of change in perception that gets created when this is the focus, right? This becomes the focus and rightfully so because it is the biggest piece of news that the new Orleans States have going on right now because they have a superstar running back. They're trying to resign or rather not resign, but extend for the next couple of seasons. So it is, it's vitally important to get this done as quickly as possible. They had a day off yesterday. I was kind of hoping that they would make enough progress to feel you know, like they're in a good place by the end of yesterday, which is still possibly true. Mm -hmm. We just won't hear about it Um, because, you know, Coach Payton. But when it comes down to the way that all this is working out, you want to get this done as soon as possible. And you want to shift this narrative away from these concerns of like contracts and turmoil and dispute and blah, blah, blah that aren't actually present. It's, you know, it was like the guy that was on ESPN the other day that Ryan Clark went off on. That was talking about how, you know, the Saints are potentially going to struggle because Alvin Kamara is not in a holdout and they're working on extending him. Like like even the, the connection doesn't even make sense, but it allows you to create that framework and that narrative around the team. And, you know, you can say that you don't hear it all you want. I know you can say it, but it has an effect. It has an effect because everybody in that room is thinking about Alvin Kamara's contract when they see Alvin Kamara. They see Alvin Kamara and they think, contract. That's, that's like the whole thing. So you want to be very careful of that. And I'm diminishing it a little bit. I know that I'm being a little reductionist. Don't get me wrong. But you don't want that to even be a possibility. You want to get this done. You want to have everybody in line or ready to go week one.
1: No, I mean, even in the, the abstract – it's a, it, is, it can't help but be a distraction. When you're, when, right. if you're at work of any job and your money is not security yet, you feel like you might be vulnerable.
0: And right. by now, extension,
1: yeah. other people around you
0: also right. feel
1: vulnerable because their fates are tied to Alvin's
0: money too. That's true, yeah, you got Ryan Ramchek who's blocking for Alvin Kamara, that whose contract is gonna be, you know, that money, all that money's coming from the same damn place. At this and, and if you're you know Marshawn I mean? Lattimore, Right. And you watch Jalen Ramsey just get a $71 million
1: guaranteed deal. Oof. And for five years, and you figure I'm as good as Jalen Ramsey if you're Marshall Lattimore. You say, right. I could do that. Right. I'm him. So, And I'm younger. Right. I want my hundred million. So all these, now these numbers, yeah, everybody's in Alvin's pocket because they all want to know what his numbers look like because they're compared and all of them are doing the other position by position comparisons this off season. So yeah, if I'm the team, I want to get it done quick. It's in the best interest of the saints to get it done considering the financial um, questions on the horizon for the entire league Mm -hmm. salary cap, et cetera. And you want, I think this season you want to really start preparing, which the Saints do great anyway, right. of really start preparing for the financial realities um, of next season. And I, I think, like we talked about before, the Breeze deal getting off the table, off the books, and everybody just seems zeroed in on this as Breeze's last season, outside yep. and inside. That certainly helps. But I think the Saints want to get into a position where if they have other people on the roster, they've got to start thinking about moving on as a result Mm -hmm. of these extensions, they want to go ahead and start getting into that planning now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. And I think another part of it is that you're trying to figure out how to structure this extension so that it's backloaded as much as possible to allow for – you have a fifth-year option for Marshall Lattimore and a fifth-year option for Ryan Ramshake next season, which usually means that any extension that gets reached for those two players before that fifth-year option or before that fifth-year officially begins and becomes guaranteed, it's probably going to drop their cap hit for that that individual season. Because you can give them a larger signing bonus that and a lower base salary for that first year that balances out and gets them a bunch more money than they were planning to get in the first place. But in terms of how it sits on the books, it's cheaper for that year and then grows exponentially more, more expensive over time. When TV deal, 17 game season, all those things that are expecting to skyrocket the cap away from the drop that we're expecting to see next season. And we also don't know, I don't want to get too like, on the on the like happy flowery side of all this, but we still don't know what that salary cap is actually going to look like. Like if we're being real, we know that $175 million is the lowest that it can possibly go, but we don't know that it's necessarily going to be that. We're seeing a lot of, and y'all know my opinion on it, you know my opinion on it, but we're seeing a lot of teams that are going to have fans in the stands at some percentage immediately. Arrowhead's about to load them in tomorrow. They're about to do, I think it's like 22% or something like that of, of their fans. And then you have, you know, Jerry, who's trying to get his whole, the everybody up in there, everybody, mama, everybody, grandma, everybody, dog, everybody, auntie, like everybody's showing up in Dallas. And so that's all going to have some effect on any, any one fan that purchases a ticket has an effect on that salary cap because the expectation was it will be this low if there are absolutely no fans and the stands throughout the 2020 season. So we'll see what that floor actually looks like. And the higher that floor, the easier it is for any team across the NFL to navigate, but certainly the easier it'll be for the new Orleans saints to navigate, who are going to be, you know, at this point already starting to plan for what those repercussions are going to look like and how to plan appropriately for them. And I think you, the other thing is that whether Taysom Hill is your quarterback next year, Jameis Winston, some other free agent or some draft pick, is your quarterback next year if Drew Brees isn't around? Which, as you mentioned, and I agree with, we are all pretty confident that it won't be, uh, or expect that it won't be. Um, if you're throwing it out, if you're throwing to Michael Thomas and you have Alvin Kamara behind you, it makes you a better quarterback. True, plain and simple. Does not matter who you are; it makes you a better quarterback. Unless you're, well, Christian Hackenberg, maybe not so much. Garrett Grayson, maybe not so much. But a couple of these other Blake guys, <laughs> right? late portals, maybe not. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like it, it puts you in a position to be successful no matter what and with that line that, yeah with that and with an offensive line yes absolutely you know yeah, I mean? so a, they want to they want to lock all this up
1: it's a great situation for anybody who comes in just on a quick quarterback aside I did not yeah, yeah. realize that Alex Smith is getting 16 million dollars to be the backup in Washington
0: yeah yeah because it was guaranteed to him I think it was already part of his stuff and Washington has just they've just paid the man and I, I think that's great I think that's awesome
1: that's cool on um, Washington But I'm just saying 16 mil for a backup who if he gets in the game, I'm really not happy with the way my season's going.
0: Right. Ron Rivera Rivera said that if he had the option to put him in week one, he would do it. And I'm like, that's real sweet of you to say. That's real kind. But Lord, please don't do that to that man. (laughs) He has not seen a football field in quite some time. And he had a traumatic injury the last time he was out on there. Like, please don't rush that man into any kind of action. Yeah, like, you're gonna put him out of there for week, week one? Right. Oh, no. like, <laughs> no, 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 no. But you know, like that's a team that, you know, look, sign, sign Alex Smith to an extension that's got a couple avoidable years on it and spread out that cap hit. Like take a page out of Mickey Loomis's book. You know what I mean? Like this is the kind of thing that the Saints would do about, you know, we wanna make sure that you get your money, but we can't give it all to you right now. So let's let's extend you out. And then make sure that you get paid that over time. We'll give you every bit of it right now, including signing bonuses and stuff like that. But let it sit on the books for us for a couple of years. Like there's so many different ways that you can go about that with restructuring his deal and extending his deal that, you know, just not every, not every team takes advantage of things like that. Like we're 16, accustomed to seeing 16 mil though. That's just, Ooh. Oh, I mean, I get loyalty and like you said, more power to
1: Alex Smith, Word. but I just, mm. I, I think this is this is too much emotion overriding South football in this one. Yeah. This just
0: feels yeah. like they really wanted to have Alex Smith in particular. You know what I mean? It's like, part of the, it's the, I, I think, it's part of the new culture brand. That's what it's all about, right? Washington, all about right now. What they're all about is creating this new culture and showing everybody, look, we're a different team, we're a different franchise, and this to me feels like a part of that when you could make a more sensible football move that doesn't make you look like a bad organization. You're keeping Alex Smith on the books. You're still making sure that it gets paid out, but you could make a different choice here in terms of how you pay it out and how the team hangs on the hook for it. But, you know, hey, that's Washington. It's Washington. That's Washington. Yeah. Because that is clearly, <laughs> yeah,
1: I think you're right. Just to move on from it is, I think it's a PR thing that absolutely mm-hmm. they needed some good stories out of Washington and, This was the quickest way to get one because it had been something that the whole country had followed with this documentary and Mm -hmm. all those things. So they needed. Any kind of positive story, and they haven't had a single one this summer, whether it's been <laughs> Darius Geis or whether it's been, you know, dealing with the, the name change, yeah. whether it's been damn side, the cultural stuff, the cheerleaders, all those things, releasing Adrian Peterson, everything has been a right. negative pretty much across the board. And now you get at least this one Pollyanna moment yep. that you get to, to, to have for the season, which again will probably be crap for them anyway. Oh. <laughs> now we get to talk about stuff on the field, actually. Saints. Take it on Tampa Bay. Week one, let's start with the offensive side of the ball. We know that Tampa relies on its pass rush. Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett, Mm -hmm. that's what they get. They got 27 sacks between those two guys last season. Devin White in the middle of the linebacking core. But there are a lot of questions on that Tampa defense. Where do the Saints have the areas to exploit what uh, Tampa does not do well?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the first thing is attacking the secondary, and uh, you know, getting and and it helps when you now have Emmanuel Sanders a part of it, a part of the team. It might have been a little bit tougher, and we've seen it be a little bit tougher for the Saints when it's Ted Ginn Jr. Although Ted Ginn, you know, even Teddy Bridgewater threw Ted Ginn Jr. a bomb last year, and like a bomb in which it, he didn't even have to wait for Ginn Jr. to catch the ball. He already turned around and celebrated before, you know, the Nick Young thing. Like, it's, it, you know, he was all out about it. But I think the secondary is what you try to exploit, even with an addition of a very talented player like uh, Antoine Winfield, who, you know, is still young. And that, that's one of the biggest things that you're going to have when it comes to this offense versus defense is continuity of this offense and continuity of chemistry, attack, timing, rhythm, everything that they're already going to have, in place. Uh, I think that the biggest concern for the Saints is going to be the interior offensive line. I think, you know, we saw on the initial 50, excuse me, the initial unofficial roster depth chart, Jesus, depth chart. Uh, <laughs> I could not get the right word. You've been um, up early. They had uh, Caesar Ruiz listed at right guard with Eric McCoy retaining his starting center position from last year. If that remains, because again, it's the unofficial depth chart, so it's hard to read too much into it at this point because it will undergo changes before the week, before the game begins. But if that ends up being the case, it would make sense because Cesar Ruiz missed like half a camp with that minor injury. They, They called it a minor injury, but they also kept him out for basically the entire second week or second half of the second week and then last week of camp. So we'll see exactly where it is that he lines up. But in either way, whether he's the one doing the communicating or he's the one receiving the communication, there's still a learning curve that had to be leapt that you hope that was leapt during the time that he was in camp and during this practice week heading up to the game. So there's so many of those different questions that are going to be coming through. But for the most part with this offense, if they can maintain the interior offensive line where the... Tampa Bay Bucs are going to play a multiple front defense. They're going to go even and odd. They have some great three tech penetrators, a great nose tackle penetrator as well in the pass rush game. So they have some very, very good, uh, some a very good defensive line there and a really good run defense as well. So if you can create time for the quarterback, find a way to churn out, you know, three four yards at a time in the run game and stay true to the run game, making that defense stay honest then you'll be able to exploit the pass defense for sure. Um, And I know that a lot of people got really, really excited about Carlton Davis and, you know, Sean Murphy bunting toward the end of last season. Uh, I'm not sold on them yet. I'm not sold on them against premier talent at the, you know, for the passing game. And so I will, I will expect to see the saints be able to exploit that secondary with the passing game for sure. And, You know, just look at, you know, and, and, you know, name any weapon that you want. There's no telling who's going to be the big person this game. You know they're going to lean on Michael Thomas early, more than likely. But any one of these other receiving options, Emmanuel Sanders, Jared Cook, Alvin Kamara out the backfield, Ty Montgomery, Taysom Hill, you know. And then, of course, there's Traquan Smith, who's going to be coming in as a third wide receiver, and potentially even Deontay Harris getting some play. The Saints have a lot of weapons and have a lot of different ways to exploit this Tampa Bay defense.
1: This seems like one of those games where – Certainly, Alicumara, If he if he's feeling good, mm-hmm. he could be a major force yep. in this game in particular because if Tampa is bringing those guys up front and bringing six or seven out of their front seven to attack, there are going to be gaps and spaces for him to operate in and, and create some mismatches against mm-hmm. that second level. So I, I really think this is a game for him. And I think particularly, too, Jared Cook as well. Um, the two of them have a real opportunity to take advantage of Tampa possibly overplaying on guys like a Mike Thomas
0: trying to make sure that they're shut down while they try to get to Breeze yeah absolutely and alvin kamara historically over time has had great games in his six games against the tampa bay buccaneers he's got it's either six or seven total touchdowns against them already averaging 4.8 yards per carry over 700 total yards from scrimmage against this team so he has done a very very good job and has you know excelled against tampa bay before and so if he's as you mentioned back and you know 100% who he was and who he has been in the past then he'll have – he should be a big factor in this game, whether it be through the run game or through the passing game.
1: I'm interested to see if Sean Payton tries to give Latavius Murray carries in the first quarter to kind of just get his team – into the rhythm of actually playing football again and just get some, yeah, these are simple things. Hand it off, boom. Let's just get some some reps in of contact, not try to do anything crazy on drive one. But at the same time, I can see Sean Payton pulling something out of his ass hey,
0: and going right. for the touchdown on the first play of the game too. Right. Absolutely. You see him take a shot early, right? Like yep. it, you, you don't know which way Sean Payton is going to go. Cause you could play the conservative route and you could say, it's not even conservative. You could play the sensible route right. and say, I'm going to give you a couple of handouts. If we go three and out here, we go three and out here. It doesn't matter. That doesn't cost us the game. You know what I mean? And then just get the team used to some contact, get the team used to some speed, run some quick, you know, some quick uh, pass play concepts and things like that. The stuff that they like to utilize, particularly like those angle routes and Texas concepts and things that they like to run with Alvin Kamara, utilize all of that that early and then just sort of chip away as people get more comfortable over in the offensive side and find a rhythm. But then at the same time, you could see Sean Payton just coming out and saying, you know, what, we're better than them. Let's go show them. Yeah. And then, and then do it. You know, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to expect, but either way, either way won't be surprising.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause the thing is too, is again, we talk about this. There's no film, right? There's no film. So if you're right. looking at what Tampa's doing this year, conceptually yeah. you're like, I guess they're pretty much doing what they did last year because they haven't changed a lot of <laughs> things. So, right. trying, like, so you don't really have, and, and for Tom Brady and that offense, and we'll get to that in just a sec. But you're looking at a lot of New England stuff, and you're looking at to see what his favorite combos are there because you certainly that's going to get brought down. But right. at the same time, you got to look at again what is how would Aryans use him? Right. Because would you look more? I think you'd probably get rid of last year's Tampa tape. And I'd be looking kind of similar to what, what was Arians doing when he was at Arizona, right? And I want to see some of those things because to me, Kurt Warner, Tom Brady, yep, are much more similar comparison to what I would expect than Jameis Winston throwing downfield and attacking right. vertically. Um, but no,
0: again, no film, right? No film. Yeah, you're you're projecting no matter what, right? You're trying to look at the Tampa Bay film from last year and figure out okay, here's some of the things that you know. Bruce likes to try to run and then you're going back to you know Bruce's older days with Kurt Warner but then you're also going back to last season with Tom Brady what ability does he still have and you have to look at Tom Brady early season versus Tom Brady late season and in either case you get an advantageous matchup with either one of those Tom Brady's because he was a little rusty coming out the gate and he was a little worn down at the end of the season so it, it but how much of that can you actually rely on in you know a Superdome with no people uh, a, a team that he has three weeks worth of chemistry with in terms of actual play time and understanding patterns and seeing people's you know cues before they break out of routes. What does Mike Evans look like at the top of his route versus what did you know uh, you know Mohamed Sanu look like at the top of his route last year? What does Chris Godwin look like when he's you know streaking across the field versus? you know, Julian Edelman, where's the ball placement have to be? What's the rhythm feel like? How quickly does that person get 12 yards down the field before they make their break, as opposed to what I'm accustomed to in new England, there's a much different set of timing rules, mechanisms and pieces of rhythm that have to be accounted for in this offense that you aren't going to really be able to find on any film, anywhere. You can just find the general concepts and then three weeks into the season, this year, then you have something to go back and look at before the next time that these two teams match up. But for the most part, everybody knows what the Saints are going to be running, but nobody knows necessarily what the – and I think everybody knows what the Saints are going to be running to an extent, to the same right. extent that they always knew, but the Saints can still come out and, and absolutely thrash you with that very game plan. It was like when Sean Payton was out there tweeting out plays, and then Christopher Dunnels from over at Canal Street Chronicles was like, Coach, why are you giving away you – know, you're letting everybody see it. And he's like, they've been seeing it. They just can't stop it, you know what I mean? And so it's like it makes no difference. But it it will be really interesting to see what this Tampa Bay offense ends up looking like under Tom Brady and Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich as well. What does it look like for Tom Brady getting plays thrown at him by Byron Leftwich as opposed to Josh McDaniel? What does that kind of you know? How much
1: yeah, what is that relationship like? It's gonna
0: be because
1: if if Byron Leftwich, who wants to be an NFL head coach who has certainly said that. I think it is. Yeah. That relationship and who is the coordinator and how much do you give to Brady? All three of those guys. That's, that's something that I'm very interested to see how that dynamic develops over the course of the season.
0: Yeah. How many players get called on the sideline? They get changed at the line of scrimmage. You know what I mean? And then Mm -hmm. does that create contention throughout the game? And then does that end up affecting composure when something goes wrong? Like there's, and and that's something that the Saints defense, uh, I'm kind of jumping over to the Saints defense now, but that's something that they're going to need to create. They're going to need to create moments to where things go wrong for this, for this Tom Brady offense, for this, for this Tampa Bay offense. The Tampa Bay is dangerous this season for the same reasons that they were dangerous last season. You've got Mike Evans, you've got Chris Godwin, probably the best wide receiver tandem in the NFL. And then you have, Uh, you know, these three tight ends now in OJ Howard, I should say Cameron Bray, OJ Howard and Rob Gronkowski. We know that Rob Gronkowski's role early in the season has been compared to that of a late season uh, Antonio Gates, but that means that he's still going to be a presence in the red zone. And Rob Gronkowski has good games against new Orleans. It's just the thing we've seen it. You know what I mean? Um, And thankfully the Saints have gotten better at covering both tight ends and running backs out the backfield over these last few years, shout out to Mario Davis for the rejuvenation of that. And Dennis Allen as well for helping out with that. But man, those were, you know, kind of those rough ones, but you know, you look at, we watched over on, um, on uh, who confessional last night, Tom Brady's last game in the playoffs against Tennessee, which, you know, came to the ending that he would have never wanted, of course, with his time in new England. But you know, there were times where early on in the game, you would see the Tennessee Titans defensive line be crazy aggressive for the first series and then come back and continue to be aggressive for the first play of that series. And then Josh McDaniel would call a screen pass, which ends up beating that aggressive defense and then getting the Patriots, you know, 25 yards down the field. Is Byron Lefferts going to see the game the same way? Is he going to try to be a little bit more stubborn about staying in the pocket and do what you do? Is, are they just going to look to swing passes and passes in the flats? It's a very different mechanism because you don't have those offensive linemen already downfield waiting to get engaged at the second and third levels like you would with a screen pass. So it'll be interesting just to sort of see what the rhythm looks like from the play-calling perspective and counteracting what the Saints do if they remain aggressive, which you have to imagine, if they're going to a press-man coverage type of defense, that defensive line is going to be very aggressive and try to get after Brady, get some hits on him, disrupt timing, and then potentially try to bat some passes down at the line of scrimmage as well.
1: And I guess you'd also have to wonder for Brady too is – this line is not the same. Right. New England has had consistent, as, as far as pass protection at the very least, has had consistent, solid protection. Jameis was under a lot of pressure last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Brady did not do well against the Blitz last year. Right. The Saints are not necessarily a Blitz-heavy team, but they have the ability to collapse the pocket with four. It's, that is going to be huge if the Saints don't have to Blitz. They don't yeah. want to Blitz, and right. if they don't have to, that makes it even better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's how they started off the season last year. The season at the top of the season, before they had the injuries to to Marcus Davenport and Sheldon Rankins late in the year, they didn't really blitz a ton. They didn't have to do that. They got pressure with the with the defensive line and with the front with the front four or the front three depending upon what type of a set because they also operate under a multiple uh, front as well but you look at tom i'm looking at tom brady's numbers from last year uh 61 completions on 169 attempts so that's a 36.1 completion percentage when under pressure Uh, if you subscribe to pro football focus grades at all 49.1 offensive grade there but five touchdowns to nine i'm sorry five touchdowns to three interceptions you want to get him under pressure. No quarterback is really comfortable under pressure, except for maybe Joe Burrow somehow, but you look at, you know, or, any Russell leader, or Russell Wilson. Yeah. Who can get away, right? There's those mobile quarterbacks. It's one thing, but for these guys that are pocket passers that are traditional pocket passing quarterbacks, they're going to struggle under pressure. So you want to get them under pressure. And that offensive line didn't do too terribly much improving over the off season for the, uh, for the, the the Bucks, Donovan Smith, Ali Marpet, Ryan Jensen, Alex Kappa, and then they added Tristan Wurst over at the right tackle side. But still, that's a rookie that's going to be matching up in that case with Cam Jordan, and Cam Jordan's going to try to take advantage of that. Now, Cam struggled a little bit against uh, Caleb McGarry the first time that they met last year, the rookie in uh, Atlanta. But I don't expect to see a repeat here with the Iowa product, Tristan Wurst, and then the rest of this defensive line matching up against an offensive line that it has performed very well against. Uh, historically over these last few seasons, still going up against like Donovan Smith, for instance, who has struggled against the Saints pass rush before. You can expect to see a very active pass rush, especially if everything we're hearing about Sheldon Rankins is true and that he's back to 2018 for
1: him. Yeah, I I think that the Saints, um, Dennis Allen with this team, I I don't think they have to be – crazy in their schemes and and, and creating something that Tom Brady hasn't seen. I think the Saints can, you know, Tom Brady's seen everything, first and foremost. There's nothing you can throw at him at this point that would be confusing. Um, The whole point is, like you said, to make him uncomfortable. Not confused. You're not going to confuse him. But you got to make him uncomfortable and give him things that are unexpected at certain times. But Other than that, yeah, I think the Saints would probably be very simple, not, in, not as far as just like not disguising anything. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're going to try to put too much in in a week one install and right. make guys think too hard when they haven't been together. Like ultimately, they have not had the reps on the field. So why complicate it by giving them right. too much against an opponent you can't really scout?
0: Right, you like don't create confusion where there doesn't have to be. Especially if you're, if the intent is to go to press man coverage, then everybody's job when they're pressed up or when they're manned up against somebody is to simply win. Win their one on one and win their matchup and know that they would know where the help is in terms of safety help and coverage over the middle. If they go into any like cover one middle of the field close robber type situations where you have a deep safety and a safety patrol in the middle of the field, if they the the disguising is going to happen at the safety position, you know. Who is playing in the slot? Who is the deep safety? Who's the deep safety versus who's playing in the box? Who are there going to be two? You know, are we looking at a two high look with middle of the field open? Are we looking at a one high look with middle of the field close? That's where the disguising is going to happen, and then probably I imagine you're going to see some pre and I'm sorry post snap motion along the defensive line with twists and stunts, things like that that the Saints run really well they've done a very good job Marcus Davenport for instance will line up over the left guard and then pull all the way around the edge of the right tackle and they've done a really good job at collapsing lines and creating that path for Marcus Davenport who you know is noted as a speed to power converter edge rusher but is still very much a fast product and an athletic product in and of himself they've also added Zach Bond who can go in there on those third downs who does a very good job at you'll see a lot of defensive linemen that will round off getting a, mm-hmm. or getting around a round of tackle. He does a very good job at cutting that angle and, and, and not wasting a bunch of steps. It's something he does very, very well. And it helps when you're a speed guy to be able to do that, especially on those obvious passing downs where you have, you know, a third and seven, a third and a, a third and 10. So you have to wait for routes to develop. Zach Bond can help you get there and get home. I think that the saints have a really, really nice matchup here. I wouldn't say that they're going to run away with anything, uh, we know that the Saints also traditionally struggle in the first game of the season and yeah. in September. Six years, one in five. They won last year, but barely, <laughs> you know, uh, it almost gave that one away late, you know, at home in the dome. And so you, you have to understand the reality of, I think there's a hype conversation that takes place with both of these teams. You look at Tampa Bay and the potential that they have to kind of fall into the place of the 2018 Saints start to the Saints defense bought into their own hype a little bit too much. And then they got punched in the throat pretty early as Mar- as uh, Marshawn Lattimore said Tampa Bay offense has the ability to do that same thing to buy into the hype a little bit too much and then end up allowing that to cost them because they relaxed on certain details they relaxed on certain nuance work it's tough to say that anybody's going to do that when Tom Brady is your quarterback, Tom Brady's not going to let, really let you relax. He'll deez down your throat if he sees you relaxing, but it would be interesting to see if there is an element of them buying into their own hype too much and just trusting that things are going to work out and then run into an issue with execution, sort of like what we saw with the saints defense just a couple of years ago. But then for the saints, it's tough to buy into the hype there because there's so many reasons to be excited about the saints, if nothing else, but for the fact that they retained just about everything but a handful of their roster, you know, combining both sides of the ball. I think it's three positions on either side that have seen some replacement. And and really, really it's only five because Janoris Jenkins got a couple of starts last season. Mm-hmm. So you've got Malcolm Jenkins and then whoever the strong strong side linebacker is going to be in place of AJ Klein, whether it's Caden Ellis or Zach Bond. And then over on the offensive side you have a new right guard or potentially new center, but only one actual new player in that. You have a new wide receiver and Emmanuel Sanders, which I mean, great, thanks. And then you've got, you know, Michael Burton at the fullback position. So for the most part, this team... And has fullback t- is not something that's a major right. factor for this team. So it's... Right. They utilize him, but Michael Burton... Has played in systems that utilize fullbacks much like the Saints. They've played in like that uh, Chicago Bears system that utilizes as him a, as a lead blocker, but also in special teams. They've utilized. You know, he's been in that Washington system that will motion him out wide to draw a linebacker out of the box. All those concepts and everything are not new to Michael Burton. He's been doing that his entire career. He'll be fine slipping into Zach Line's uh, responsibilities there, and so it it will be one of those things where they have the right formula right? They're good on paper. They've maintained cohesion, communication, all of that. Now it's can they coalesce all of that into actually producing on the field, which we've said from the very beginning is going to be the major factor for the saints is how do they take all that potential on paper and then execute out on the field. That's going to be sort of the, the biggest thing uh, for this team.
1: One of the saints are going to have to take away is the running game. You want to make mm-hmm. Tampa one dimensional as quickly as you can. Um, it feels like Tampa has put together three running backs to create one. You, have, you know what I mean? Like you have what's left of Shady McCoy. Right. Who has been decreasing in his value each of the mm-hmm. last few years. But, you know, he is still a receiver out of the backfield and can do those types of things. You have Leonard Fournette who, yeah, he had 76 catches last year, but no one would confuse him as a, a, a real receiving option out of right. the backfield. He's primarily a one cut runner. Uh, and is going to get downfield, you know, go straight ahead. He's not going side to side. He wants right. to go straight ahead. Uh, and then um, I don't know why his name is slipping for me right now. Oh, uh, Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones, yes, um, who is going Ronald to be Jones. the starter?
0: Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And which, which, like, come on, Bruce. Yeah, when you look
1: at the names, you are like <laughs> Ronald Jones, Ronald Jones Bennett, work. Shady McCoy. Okay, so yeah, the, none of them are exceptional at any one thing which also kind of leads you to believe like when you can kind of identify what's going on when depending on
0: who's in the backfield. And that's the thing that's so specific about new Orleans that has allowed them to maintain versatility. And, you know, as, as coach Peyton would say being multiple on offense, because you don't know what they're going to do with Alvin Kamara. They've thrown it to him and he's caught the ball 81 times, three straight seasons, but he's also their lead, their lead back in terms of running the ball. Uh, Latavius Murray was targeted some -some, 40-some, 40-50-some-odd times out of the backfield last season. And you know that they like to run with him, but for the most part, he averaged only seven yards, sorry, excuse me, seven carries per game outside of the two games where he had 27 and 21 carries while uh, Alvin Kamara was out. So over that 14 game stretch, he only averaged seven carries per game. So he was just as much a focus in the passing game as he was in the run game in their usual game plan when they had Alvin Kamara. And then You add Ty Montgomery, who you never know. The guy wears number 88 in the backfield. You never know. You just don't know what he's going to do. And I think that that's part of what the Saints are doing very well. And one of the reasons why I love that they kept him at running back and they didn't change his number. I know it's a dumb thing, but it is a little bit toward the disguise portion of what this offense wants to be able to do. They want to be able to operate in 12 personnel because you have three tight ends that can catch, two probably better than the other, but then you also have three tight ends that can block, Two probably better than the third. So Jared Cook being the outlier when it comes to blocking, Josh Hill being the outlier when it comes to, to pass catching. But you put two tight ends out on the field, the defense has to make a decision there. Do they load the box because they're expecting a run, so they go to base defense four three three four, or do they check one of those linebackers out and go a little bit lighter on defense to put a nickel linebacker? I'm sorry, a nickel uh, corner out there because they need to cover Adam Troutman and Jared Cook, for instance. What do you do? That creates that type of disguise and then Drew Brees reads the defense and says, okay, they did this. So now I've got two plays that I can run at the line of scrimmage and I'm going to pick which one I think is going to be best against this team, right? So you have all of that and then you have the personnel matchup that you come out in 21 personnel to where you have one tight end, but you have two running backs but one of those running backs is Ty Montgomery and the other is Alvin Kamara who both can line up in the slot and who both can line up out wide and there's always the chance that Ty Montgomery wearing number 88 confuses the hell out of somebody and thinks that's 11 personnel they got four wide receivers out on that field and then they go to dime. And then all of a sudden you have no box to run against. You have no box that you have to run against. And so you hand off and then you pick up and ease or you run a draw yep. and then you pick I just
1: think about it, just six, yes,
0: six or seven yards. Right. So the saints have a lot of options here with their offense to disguise. I think that's where things get complicated, right. And get convoluted the way that the Saints have always been complicated and convoluted on offense and complex. Let me say it that way. Have been complex on offense and therefore hard to read. While on the defensive side, it's line up and win. You know, I'm really excited about this game. I'm really so excited about this because there's so many different ways can go. The unknowns just make it more intriguing because we don't watch... I've Go never
1: gone into any game on the NFL level. <laughs> yeah. In college, you do that. I mean,
0: the first right. week of the season, you have no clue. <laughs> there's like six starters returning. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what these
1: kids are going to do today. None. Or you expect them like they're playing some garbage team. you like, they're going to roll them today. Right. You don't get that in the NFL. It's week no. one. It counts. And we have no idea. None. <laughs> None whatsoever. What any of these teams actually look like on a single drive. Right, one drive. I, we don't know offensively or defensively how any of these people are going to respond, and like the the dichotomy of a team with no major overhaul in the off versus a team that went over an incredible, basically identity shift in one off season. And talking about Tampa, that too, yeah, that just it makes it all the more. And I think Sean Payton too. I think Sean Payton has such comes into the season with more confidence, but also there is just that chip, that, that desire to, to go out and show that he took advantage of this thing when nobody else did. He figured it out. He got his team ready. Like Sean Payton would love this to be the cherry on top, in this season to show that he figured it out. He got the code. Yeah. He and Drew Brees and the rest of these guys, they worked it out. The saints are smarter than you. There is a part of me that feels like <laughs> Sean Payton would love to put his, stuff on, put his stuff on the table and be like, I told you, I told yeah. you.
0: I love that. I love it. And it's true. I mean, there's something different. Like if you just watch Sean Payton this offseason, he's locked in. He's completely locked in. Like the way that he speaks to media, the way that he's in his teleconferences, the way he talks, the way that he's been working. You know, there's, it's a big difference. Think about before training camp began, Coach Payton in his beachside villa on NFL IG Live talking to Kay Adams, going outside, showing the whole world, the house that he's staying in and everything. And just like who that guy was that was out there talking about like, look, we're tired of Larry Warford. He getting up out of here. Like that, <laughs> that guy versus, <laughs> versus, versus what we're seeing right now is where he is entirely locked in. And he's back to, if I knew I wouldn't tell you, type answers. You know what I mean? Like I mean, a- I
1: love the fact that he says like, y'all gonna have to keep up with this uh, practice squad because this gonna be, yep. I love that. And it, it shows me, that he has been, I mean, he's on the competition committee. So we know that he's, you know, certainly involved in all these things. But at the same time, when he was talking about guys, don't worry, don't come into practice, Sean Payton was planning. When they came in and he knew what the deal was, Sean Payton was planning. And so all these things, it just feels like he was not wasting any of this time. He was preparing for every eventuality. Like he was in his basement with all the chalkboards and he wrote down every formula to figure it out. And he has, like, I really believe that he feels as if, and the way he's carrying himself is not with an arrogance, but it's that hint of Sean Payton arrogance that taste right. that you go that's so familiar to you and you taste yeah. that's, that's Sean Payton arrogance. Yeah, that's
0: a little bit a little bit of salty
1: in yeah, there. That's, a, see that's in there. <laughs> you got
0: that seasoning salt. There's that's a confidence
1: bait. level too, right? That's higher to me because it feels like he knows his franchise, his front office has given him a competitive edge in the way that they prepared for this strange, strange season. I think he feels fully confident in what they're doing. And that is huge because that does go down to your players. That does go down to the organization when they feel confident in that all the things that they're doing, not just in play calling, not in roster assembly, but I think the environment that he's trying to set mentally for this team is just as important. And it feels as if the Saints are extremely normal in an abnormal time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wrote down the words. uh, I didn't, I didn't forget it, but it's the gamesmanship for him right now. Everything like you mentioned is about winning this off season, winning every chess match that he's a part of all throughout this season. And I can't, I can't think of anybody else in the NFL that is a head coach and that is sitting on the competition committee other than Sean Payton that is doing more of the, okay, cool. We're going to do that. Dope and already has a plan around how he's going to take advantage of it or how he's going to exploit it. However it is that you want to write. Coach Payton is hated by pretty much every fan base except for the new Orleans saints. Mm -hmm. And I think that the reason for that is because his preparedness, his arrogance, his pettiness, like all the things that we talk about his confidence in the way that he leads this team is so unique than what we see across the NFL. And clearly it's working. Clearly it's working because this team is also coming in with both a confidence and an understanding of how important it is to improve. We talk, we, you know, Cam Cam Jordan every time talking about got to get 1% better every day, 1% better. And then you hear that permeate through, you know, Marcus Davenport saying the exact same words. Malcolm Roach talking about how he's just trying to get better every day. Uh Carl Granderson talking about it. Sheldon Rankins. So like it permeates all the way through. And this team accepts leadership from whoever provides it which I think is a really interesting thing because every good leader has to know when it's, when, when it's time to follow. Somebody has a specialization that is whose knowledge is in that specialization beyond what you, a leader in a different specialization, have. And therefore, it's time to take a back seat and listen to what that person has to say and accept leadership from that. You look at everything that happened over this offseason, the way that the locker room came together, the way that all of that situation with Drew Brees played out, all of that is a testament to the number of leaders that are in that locker room. We have seen trades over, you know, we have seen players demanding trades over issues with teammates all the time. This was a humongous conversation that they underwent. And ain't nobody come out there saying, all right, I want out of here or anything like that. You know what I mean? This is a team that accepts leadership from whoever provides it. And Sean Payton is at the very top of that. And above that is even Gail Benson, who has provided it, Mickey Loomis, these other folks that have been huge in creating the culture of this organization. And that's why one of the reasons why like, I, I look at this opening game against the Bucs and I say, if they win, it's fantastic because they get that little bit of a head start in the, um, in, in the NFC South. The Saints are coming into this game for the first time in five years a team is favored to beat Tom Brady. So there is a level of and Even the last
1: time that they were favored, they,
0: Brady won. That Brady won. Yeah, Brady it was like won. 40 to 32. It was Rex Ryan and the Buffalo Buffalo Bills, at, led by Tyrod Taylor, who threw three interceptions. You know what I mean? So it's very different, this situation, that the the Patriots would be walking into. And we have to remember, too, that a large – I'm sorry, the Tampa Buccaneers will be walking into. But we have to remember that the Patriots' success last year – with Tom Brady was largely predicated on the defense. There was that string of the season to where the defense outscored every opposing offense that it had played against, that ridiculous run. I don't have that type of confidence in Todd Bowles. I think Todd Bowles is a very good defensive coordinator. Don't get me wrong, they don't have the players. But they don't have the personnel. They don't have the players. They don't yet have that leadership. They don't have yet have that identity to be able to translate and be led by these veteran guys like Patrick Chung, Dante Hightower, Stefan Gilmore, and that defensive line that they had over there as well that was also putting in work with some guys that some people know their names, some people don't. You know what I mean? They were doing, they, that defense was outstanding and it was led largely by their defensive coordinator's work, but also Bill Belichick, who's an incredible defensive mind. But a lot, like you said, a
1: lot of leaders though. Devin McCourty, you know, all those guys, it's just, it's, it's that defense is built on, was built on veterans and guys who again, yeah. You you talk about that leadership of having, of taking wherever that voice is in Tampa. If you're building it around Shaq Barrett and Devin White, Devin White's in his second year and Shaq Barrett is a pass rusher. It's, you know what I mean? It's like,
0: yeah,
1: you haven't gotten that guy. Shaq Barrett is not Camp Jordan personality-wise. That's not who he is yet. So they don't have somebody who sees the defense as the leader and
0: says, this is what we are. You don't know what Tampa's defensive identity is. Right, right. The the smartest thing that Tampa could do is let Levante David be that guy. Levante David is widely underrated, don't get me wrong, but he's probably their most – Experienced leader with that team. Jason Pierre-Paul is probably your most experienced player. If I'm, if I'm, but he's not. Correctly. He's not
1: that dude. But that's just not, not his his personality.
0: Right. Is not him. right. He's out there. He wants to get. He wants to make his plays and, and, and do what he does. And that's great because he does that. He does that very well. But Levante David is that culture guy that I feel like the 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 Bucks have. I think eventually it can be Devin White. Don't be wrong. But as you mentioned, it's just his second year here, and he missed most of his first year. Missed large portions of his first year. Let me say it that way. And so it's going to be really, that's going to be a big thing is what does the defensive communication? What does the defensive identity look like for Tampa Bay and how well do they execute it against a premier defense in the NFL? I'm sorry, excuse me. A premier offense in the NFL immediately week one without, you know, we're talking about not having tape on Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay. Of course we have to acknowledge the other way. doesn't have tape on, uh, on what the saints are doing with you know, new weapons like Emmanuel Sanders. They know what the Saints are going to do. Like the Saints are going to run the same offense conceptually, but they're going to be able to execute it. I believe at a higher level this season because of an improved offensive line and an improved second option at the wide receiver two position. Yeah. uh, there are pages in the playbook
1: that you could reopen that the Saints couldn't have used last season.
0: Right. Right. Even Adam Troutman helps you with that just by having that ability to play that 12 personnel, as we talked about, and of course, Taysom Hill is a part of that 12 personnel possibility as well. So man, I'm excited. <laughs>
1: Taysom, this is the thing. Like you said on the, the tentative depth chart, Taysom was listed as second. Mm-hmm. I don't. I have. I mean, I, I think you're the same way. I have no way believe that if Drew Brees were to go down in Week One, if something were to happen in this game, if they're not sending Taysom Hill out there to run that offense,
0: no, they're trying to win. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, that's, again,
0: people think you're trying to be
1: mean, but you you're not yeah. giving away a win in Week One have Taysom learn on the job in a division game. It just, it's not happening.
0: You would have, you have to change your offense mid game. Whereas if you put Jameis Winston in, you run the same offense. You just have a, you know, a stronger arm to where you, maybe you can take advantage of some of the deep shots that drew Brees. I'm sorry, that Sean Payton has been calling the entire game anyway, that are there either as clear outs or as potential options for drew Brees and his improved arm strength. So, or, or or whatever that's going to look like. And so I think you're right. Like, Sure, Taysom can be the number two guy on the the practice. I'm sorry, on the depth chart, simply because of that, that he's going to see the field more than Jameis Winston, but it's not going to be at the quarterback position. I still feel very much that Jameis Winston at this point in the season, very early when you're trying to set the tone, would come in and be that guy. And then very late when you have to win games to ensure your playoff run, he would be the guy. I think that the only scenario in which Taysom Hill becomes your, you know, your guy if Drew Brees gets hurt is either at a point to where games don't matter anymore and so you can have him learn on the job or at a point early enough in the season that's not a tone-setting game to where you can risk doing that because you don't want to expose Jameis Winston to the rest of the NFL because you're interested. And that's the other thing. Taysom Hill coming in doesn't mean necessarily that it's in, that it's, you know, indicative of him. Yes, yeah. It could mean that the Saints – don't want anybody to see Jameis because he is progressing well and he is making the improvements that they want to see from him and that he wants to see from himself. I think that's something else to keep into, uh, keep in consideration as well.
1: Um, this is a quick aside, but mm-hmm. it's very strange. It's very interesting to me culturally mm-hmm. how important really it has been. And I, I don't think people realize this the last two seasons in having an African-American backup on this roster, Teddy Bridgewater, we saw it. The team responded right. to Teddy over two seasons. Teddy yeah. was a leader in the locker room, a guy that was a – bridged both sides of the locker room, defense, right. offense alike. Yep. you seeing that same kind of thing with Jameis Winston, yeah. a guy who can bridge that locker room. And I think that in a team like the Saints, in a year like this, in this country, and with the situation that you had, it is really important to have a guy who can bring offense and defense together to be liked by both sides. And I think Jameis serves a good role as a conduit for that team and in, in creating some where Drew can be very serious. Mm -hmm. Jameis can bring that levity and you can meet in the middle where Drew gets to be a little more human, so to speak. And And Jameis brings along and becomes a little more professional. I think that that dynamic was really good.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's something I've observed as well. Like every time somebody was like, oh, yeah, no, the, the locker room's really getting along with Jameis. And I'm like, yeah, I wonder why. It's because like culturally, he's the quarterback that everybody has the ability to connect to. Or at least that, you know, 80% of that roster has the ability to connect to. You know what I mean? That's vital. That's important. And, you know, uh, you know some people might hear this and, and you know, think that it's, it's a conversation about being a race thing. But it's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing in that, like, the language is there, the, the vocabulary is there, the shorthand is there, the experience, the understanding of the experience is there. All of that is present with Jameis Winston. And that's not to discount what Drew Brees does because Drew Brees also bridges the offense and defense because of their respect for him as a Hall of Fame quarterback. Right. right. Like he's it's gone a out different. there and been mm-hmm. – Right. And they both now have the ability to connect with this roster from multiple angles, which only helps the entire roster grow – closer together with one another because now there's no division at any point to where, yeah, I can have this conversation with these position groups and these people, much like with Teddy Bridgewater, you had another leader at that quarterback position in a different style and in a different approach and in a different translation that ends up being vital to the connectivity and connective tissue amongst this roster. I think it's it's awesome to have it.
1: Respect and accessibility are two different things.
0: Yes, 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 yes.
1: like, I think even in the Tampa locker room, it doesn't, there's still a hierarchy of going to talk to Tom Brady. Everybody just right. don't roll up on Tom Brady on the team. You're number 53 <laughs> on the roster. You don't just show up and be like, hey, Tom, what's up? Let's talk for a minute. Right. It
0: don't work. I like bet, I bet, I bet Josh Rosen didn't talk to him for the first three days when he showed up in Tampa Bay. You he know,
1: I'm going to just wait. I'm going to just wait. And so, Drew Brees is certainly a very open guy and a very familial guy in that, in a locker room, certainly. But there yeah. is a barrier for some of the guys on a younger side. If you're on that 28 and under part, there is a barrier because you view Drew Brees differently. He's not your coworker. He's an icon. He's a hall of famer. Like, all those things. So that can put some distance just in relation to me and my, as my coworker. Right. Jameis may be a national champion, all those things, but right now he's a backup. Right. And that now I have a guy that I I feel comfortable talking to the backup QB if something's up, if something I see something where I don't want to feel like I might get corrected by Drew if I see something wrong, even if that's not the case. It's just that level of, I feel like I can go say this to Jameis. Right, right. And I'm comfortable with it. That again, yeah. there's nothing negative yeah. about Drew. It's just the nature of business, and right. just sometimes you view people in a different way. If I'm a rookie on the Bulls, I wouldn't go roll up and talk to Michael Jordan on day one. Right. I might I might be able to talk to Scotty.
0: Right. But I ain't gonna talk to Mike. Right. Absolutely. And I think Taysom Hill gives you approachability as well. But Taysom Hill has a different level of experience than both of those those quarterbacks in right. that quarterback room, and therefore an ability or. Uh, you know, the, the gap between being able to intellectually describe what is needed by every person on the offense at the same time, perhaps Drew Brees and Jameis Winston can do that better than Taysom Hill, who instead is a cog in the machine as well as everybody else. So there's also that connection to taste some hill. That is, Hey, you're running these routes too. Let's talk a little bit about what this combination should look like and things like that. So I love what the saints have built. We talk all the time about them having the best quarterback room in the NFL. It's often a phrase that's uttered and it doesn't just come down to the abilities on the field. It comes down to all three of these guys have a specific connection with the rest of the team that really allows them to, either translate information, share information, disseminate information, and create culture and maintain culture amongst the locker room. I think it's a really, really important part. I can't wait to see. And the other thing is like Jameis saw Teddy. Jameis saw what that Up was like. Up close and personal. Up close and personal. He saw what that was like. He saw that guy can step into this system and do this. He can go 5-0 and 0 with this team just because of the weapons that are around him and the system that's in place and, the, and, and making smart decisions. So Teddy was always good at He was always good at making smart decisions. Held on the ball a little bit too long, but made smart decisions. Um, Jameis saw that. And because of that, he also saw, or in addition to that, he also saw Teddy Bridgewater having fun in the locker room. Teddy Bridgewater, you know, with the camera on the sideline, like Teddy Bridgewater cutting up and having fun and being a part of that cultural leadership within the team. Those are all things that Jameis saw and Jameis is going to continue to fill those roles because that's essentially the mold that he has stepped into as somebody that's learning from Drew Brees, as somebody that's learning from Coach Payton, Joe Lombardi, Pete Carmichael, all of these, you know, the Harvard education of quarterbacks, as he called it. He's now filling that role. And I'm really excited to see sort of the way that he jumped into the spotlight as like a locker room guy, an attitude leader, uh, a cultural uh, you know, s- staple within the, within the organization, within the locker room, the same way we saw with Teddy
1: it's weird that going into the season, the thing we probably talk about the least all off season has been other than this being his last is Drew Brees. Right. The, th- the thing that we've talked about the least all off season, Drew Brees, other than his yep. controversy and whether or not he's going to retire. Yeah. But that is also just, it's, it's kind of like it shows you again, you just take him as a, as, as a
0: constant and not a variable. Right. Very true. Very true. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where we'll, we'll have the opportunity to sit back and watch, you know, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, twice this season, potentially three times with the expanded playoff field. I think that we'll start talking about Drew Brees a lot more once he gets out on the field. And I think that's probably best for Drew Brees considering the offseason he had. Uh, but there's not a lot of attention on him, not certainly not as much as there is on the other two-thirds of that quarterback room, in particular, in terms of storylines. But, uh, you know, a, a big-time spotlight's about to pop up on Drew Brees here as we embark on a Sunday.
1: It's going to be the weirdest. If this is his retirement, it's going to be the weirdest retirement tour ever. Because there's no yeah. fans. So it's like, yeah, he's you know, a lot of these stadiums, anybody. if he's playing the last time in a certain stadium, okay. Hey. <laughs>
0: where no were week. Where were you when Sir Drew Brees through his final <laughs> touchdown in the NFL? Home?
1: <laughs> it's just going to be awkward, you know, like the final game. If there's still no fans <laughs> in week 17 and he's like, you know, it's right. like, all right, this is his last home game. And he's standing That's in. It's the final
0: like, regular season game. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> He's like pointing at the individual pods of fans that made it in. Appreciate you. Thank you. 13% strong out here. You know, You're gonna like, it's you not going to be the same thing. Everything. You know? Yeah. Right. It's- we had the whole like game stoppage when he, you know, completed that, that pass to, uh, to Traquan, you know, when he threw that touchdown, like to Josh Hill, we had the whole game stoppage and everything and him running around and like waving to the fans. And everything. Nah, none of that.
1: There's no victory lap. This is, it's good. Uh, so yeah. hopefully, hopefully America's in a much better place as we get. Yes. Uh, towards yes, the end yes, of this so. year. Hopefully. All right. Before I let you go, let's get the prediction, man. It's three and a half point game. Saints man. at home. Week one, one and five in the last six. As you said, Tampa Bay cover the town. What you got?
0: I, I think I'm going to upset a lot of people. but it would not I'm gonna say it this way it would not surprise me if Tampa Bay wins this game and again that's no indictment on New Orleans they have just struggled coming out uh, at the beginning of the season Uh, if I take the Saints to win I'm taking it close so my prediction for a Saints win would be like 31 to 27 so pretty high scoring uh, defense getting into rhythm but offense in more of a rhythm which helps them do that and the offense putting them in better situations defense special teams helping out or rather special teams particularly helping out on the offensive side if it's a loss for the saints i also think that it's close but i think it's an absolute shootout at that point point. and so i think that that gets a little bit closer to kind of like that 41 to 35 type of a range so i, I i'm sorry to walk the line and everything like that but it, it's tough it's to hard project. to make
1: a hard pick so,
0: in anything yeah. i will say this yeah.
1: I think Deontay Harris is a huge X factor in this game. Oh, man, special I teams is going to be so interesting for a lot of teams at the start of the year because they have, they have not done it together. Right. They've not been able to get in these things a lot. And Harris is as good as they come right now. I think he's yep. shifty enough. He's speedy enough. All it takes is one bad, bad angle. And yep. I could see that yep. happening early in the shout, season. Where shout out Navy. Onto
0: the Yup. Shout out Navy.
1: Man. <laughs> I got to run. I know you got things to do. You've been already ripping and running all day. Please tell the folks real quick how they can follow you and
0: where to get all your good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Glad to be able to be here every Wednesday with you on a Dome Patrol. Y'all can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, NOLA, N-O-L-A. And, of course, you can check out the Locked on Saints podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and their new app. We're over there too. Uh, Amazon's got one coming out, so we'll be there too. Uh, Locked on Saints every single Monday through Friday. And then uh, all the write-ups and all the uh, written work over at CanalStreetChronicles.com. Got five big questions ahead of the game coming up this week, uh, as well as a betting article coming up this week. And every Monday, you'll get a YouTube video from me over at the Saint CSC YouTube account, the Canal Street Chronicles YouTube account, recapping the game. Not really. I mean, it's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be like, what the hell just happened? Kind of a recap. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so uh, that'll come like immediately after every uh after every game i'll record that and then get it up by the next morning so that'll be something new for people to look out for uh and of course we'll be here all season as well here on uh hard in the paint and he's on check his twitter feed he's on local radio he's doing all kinds of
1: stuff, so just follow him he's he's everywhere he's do it he, he's he's the guy this is the guy. <laughs> I follow you. my dude. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all know how to follow me at DM Grub on Twitter and Instagram. And of course the website, HITPwithDG.com. with DG.com. So for Ross Jackson and myself on behalf of the dome patrol, this has been another episode of hard to paint and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Be well.